0: Secrets of the Hopi Road to Life. This is a book Frank Waters wrote back in 1963. Frank Waters was a, well I'll read you the introduction and tell you who Frank Waters was. Frank Waters was born near the base of Pike's Peak in Colorado Springs, Colorado in 1902. From his father who was part Cheyenne Indian, he inherited a love and understanding of Native American history and culture. As a young man, he lived among the Utes and the Navajos and later in life was closely associated with the Hopi and the Taos Pueblo cultures. His interest in Native America Grew with each passing year, and thanks to his ability to translate what he had learned, millions of readers throughout the world are able to share his insights and experiences. But in this world of 8 billion people, and YouTube videos, and Facebook, and all that, uh, the Pollen Way is not seen as a valuable path, a viable path to the future. But it got me to now, and I think I am obligated at least to share some of the reflections that Frank Waters' book has allowed me to see reflecting in reality. Frank was nominated five times for the Nobel Prize in Literature. I'm not sure how that happens. I think your friends can nominate you if they want. Frank Waters has authored more than 20 books including the classic work The Man Who Killed the Deer. At the time of this printing, that book had been in print for over 40 years so it may be in the range of nearly a 100 years by now. Frank and his wife Barbara divide their time between Taos, New Mexico, and Tucson, Arizona, back in 1963. The cover of the book is a uh, fine drawing in a style that This speaks to me of Southwest. I believe it has a skunk clan symbol on it. And the pictures will be available online, so I'm not going to get into describing the pictures. The first revelation of the Hopis' historical and religious worldview of life. That's what Frank Waters did as he transcribed, essentially, the book of the Hopi. The man, the man gathered all the stories that he could find, and he put them in together in a book that carries those stories forward in a way that the people who told the stories did not find offensive. I think that makes this a holy book of sort. But not the kind that you kill people for, not the kind you send crusade, crusades off into, but the kind of book that holds a life secret that all men were told to remember and nearly all of our fathers forgot. Now, in every generation, every culture, there are Storytellers and prophets and priests. But in some Native American cultures, the ability to remember things stayed in effect longer than it stayed in effect in effect in cultures that became literate. And the cultures in India and China and Europe Mediterranean area. Their memories shrunk because of the written words, the books that could hold the stories, and the books that could be trusted not to change were changed because language changes, because as cultures begin to remix, something new is formed, and the world that we live in today is the result of all the living that's been done on this world before us now. And at 70 years old, I am discovering, have discovered that I cannot ignore the labor that individuals have put into creating maps that we can follow from a state of unknowing into a state of knowing more by acknowledging the time and effort that they put into writing the book of what they learned about whatever. I mean Frank Waters wrote more than a hundred books and they were about subjects, but they were about living on earth as a man aware of the fact that you were following all those who had lived before you. And they had left a legacy of stories and legends that teach us how to hear that still small voice that says, this is the way. Walk in it. If we study these people, Frank Waters as an example, there are, in the world today, minds on this level are sharing everything they know on the internet. You can watch every recorded Christmas lecture at Oxford. You can hang out with the guys from the Royal Institute in their question and answer sessions and be too shy to ask a question. You can watch Jordan B. Peterson grow from a 31-year-old man who was writing for three hours a day On his book, Maps of Meaning, you can watch him teach classes in Harvard when he was 31. Classes that your family, no one in your family has ever been able to afford to attend one semester at Harvard. And yet now, through the power of YouTube, we can go back and trace the growth of this personality that has become a grand storyteller in the 21st century a man a man whose name will be remembered among storytellers for a very 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 long time even though we're in that era of time when Andy Warhol's 15 minutes of fame allocation has gone down to one twenty-four hour news cycle per person. So this is going to end this podcast, but I am going to read the whole book of the Hopi at a time when my dog is not going to be making lots of noise and I can concentrate better on starting and stopping. Thanks for listening. The Book of the Hopi. Frank Waters is the author and editor. Introduction This is a strange and wonderful book. Its spokesmen are some 30 elders of the Hopi Indian tribe in northern Arizona. The Hopis regard themselves as the first inhabitants of America. Their village in Orabi. Is indisputably the oldest continuously occupied settlement in the United States. It and most of the other villages cling to 600 foot high escarpments of three rocky mesas rising abruptly out of the desert plain Hano, Shikomovi, and Walpi on the first mesa, Mishongnovi, Shiplovi, and Shongopovi on the second mesa otavia bacavi and Arabi on third mesa and monnicopi lying 50 miles to the west no part of the vast arid plateau embracing parts of new mexico arizona colorado and utah is more inhospitable than the hopi reservation of nearly 4000 square miles itself completely surrounded by the 25,000 square mile wilderness of the Navajo Reservation. Men have had to walk 10 miles each day to tend their little patches of squaw corn. Women have trudged interminably up the steep cliff sides with jars of water on their heads. This is their immemorial homeland, the desert heartland of the continent. Most of their spokesmen here are old men and women with dark, wrinkled faces and gnarled hands. They speak gutturally, deep in their throats, and almost without moving their lips, their voices rising out of the depth of an archaic America that we have never known. Out of immeasurable time, from a fathomless unconscious, whose archetypes are as mysterious and incomprehensible to us as the symbols found engraven on the cliff walls of ancient ruins. What they tell us is a story of their creation and their emergence from previous worlds, their migration over the continent and the meaning of their ceremonies. It is a worldview of life, deeply religious in nature, whose esoteric meaning they have kept inviolate for generations uncounted. Their existence always has been patterned upon the universal plan of a world creation and maintenance. And their progress on the evolutionary road of life depends upon the unbroken observance of its laws. In turn, the purpose of their religious ceremonialism is to help maintain the harmony of the universe. It is a mythological, mytho-religious system of year-long ceremonies, rituals, dances, songs, recitation, and prayers as complex, abstract, and esoteric as any in the world. It has been the despair of professional anthropologists, ethnologists, and sociologists. The great pioneer ethnologist Alexander M. Stephen, who first recorded the details of Hopi ceremonialism in the 1890s, was led to exclaim irritably in his classic journal, Damn these tantalizing whelps! To the devil with all of them! I have been bamboozled from pillar to post all day, having received no scrap of information. He came to the conclusion that the Hopi ceremonialism was so abstract that it would take longer than a man's lifetime to understand it and it required a sixth sense of the Hopi themselves. J. Walter Fuchs later was equally baffled. He wrote, There is much mysticism in the proceedings which thus far the writer fails to understand. In many instances, these native explanations in which much esotericism appears to enter have not been understood. Today, more than half a century later, almost every Hopi ceremony has been reported with painstaking accuracy by a host of professional observers. Yet their studies are limited to minute, exoteric descriptions of ritual paraphernalia and how they are used. The esoteric meaning and functions of the ceremonies themselves have remained virtually unknown. This is not wholly due to traditional Hopi secrecy. Professional scientific observers themselves have never granted validity to those aspects of Hopi ceremonialism that border the sixth sense realm of mysticism. Indeed, the rationalism of all the Western world vehemently refutes anything that smacks of the unknown or the occult. Hence, Hopi beliefs and ceremonialisms have been dismissed as the crude folklore and erotic practices of a decadent tribe of primitive Indians which have no relationship to the enlightened tenets of modern civilization. The word Hopi means peace. As a people of peace, the Hopis have tacitly ignored this outside view of themselves suffering American domination with aloofness and secrecy and keeping at bay the technological civilization swirling about them. But now the bow is bending. Their long repressed resentment is breaking out against ethnologists and anthropologists who have discounted their beliefs, commercial agents who would exploit them, and the national government itself which has betrayed them. Greater tremors of unrest and resentment against the imposition of our national materialism are shaking the Sierra Madres and the Andes. The psychic chasm separating us from all red America, black Africa, yellow Asia, and the brown Middle East grows ever wider. Who can doubt the signs that a transition to another great new age has begun? In 1963, he wrote these words. That these Hopis have revealed their conceptual pattern of life to us now for the first time imparts to their gift a strangeness unique in our national experience. For they speak not as a defeated little minority in the richest and most powerful nation on earth, but with the voice of all that world commonwealth of peoples, who affirm their right to grow from their own native roots. They evoke old gods shaped by instincts we have long repressed. They reassert a rhythm of life we have, dat- <clears throat> we have disastrously tried to ignore. They remind us we must attune ourselves to the need for interchange if we are to avert a cataclysmic rupture, between our own minds and hearts. Now, if ever, is the time for them to talk, for us to listen. This, then, is their book of talk. It is not a professional paper, neither a sociological or psychological study, nor an anthropological report. It is the presentation of a life pattern rooted in the soil of this continent, whose growth is shaped by the same forces that stamp their indigenous seal upon its greatest mountain and its smallest insect, and whose flowering is yet to come. The Hopis do not set themselves apart as human entities from this pattern. They are as sure of the future as they are of the past beginning with their genesis and carrying through their Old Testament of previous worlds and their New Testament of the present to the revelation of their esoteric ceremonialism, the tenets of this book are as sacred to the Hopis as the Judaic Christian Bible is to other people. Many of these will find it impossible to concede that the Hopis, according to the Hopi belief, were also a chosen people. Nor will the Hopi view of the universe as an inseparably interrelated field or continuum be quite palatable to those who tacitly accept the role of man as a rational entity created to stand apart from nature in order to control its politically ordered cosmology with an imperialistic mechanism. They will prefer still to regard it rather as the strange and naive myth of a still primitive tribe of Indians facing possible extinction because of lack of adaptation. This will make its profound sense of wholeness no less wonderful to others who see their own culture easily reflecting the cataclysmic split between the spiritual and the material, the conscious and the unconscious. For this message of peace, this concern with helping to preserve the inherent harmony of the universal constituents of all life, reaffirms for all of us everywhere man's imperishable belief in the fullness and riches of life granted him by his creative forces, if he can but find a way to self-fulfillment. Note about the compilation of this book. Grateful Acknowledgement is made of financial support by charitable funds made possible by the Charles Ulrich and Josephine Bay Foundation, Incorporated. And my sincere thanks go to Mr. Frederick H. Howell, who conceived the project during a trip to the Hopi country several years ago. He then initiated the work and has directed it with unflagging interest and encouragement through many periods of trial. Work on the project required nearly three years. Much of this time, I lived on the reservation in a little Hopi house below Pumpkinseed Seed Point, taking meals with my research co-worker Oswald White Bear Fredericks and his wife Naomi, who lived a half a mile away. Our enforced intimacy under trying conditions I took back upon with, I look back upon with warmth and gratitude. One after another through the months, the discourse of our Hopi spokesmen were taken down in Hopi on a tape recorder by White Bear, who later translated them into English with the aid of his wife. White Bear was especially qualified to record and translate the source material. A full-blood Hopi born on Urabi, a member of the Coyote Clan and a nephew of the late Wilson Tawakwapiela, village chief of Urabi. He attended Haskell Institute in Lawrence, Kansas, and Bacon College in Muskogee, Oklahoma. All the Hopi spokesmen willingly and freely gave the information they were qualified to impart by reason of their clan affiliations and some ceremonial duties. None of them was paid informant fees in the manner customarily followed by professional researchers gathering information for scientific studies. Each regarded the compilation of this book as a sacred task a monumental record that would give their children and their children's children a complete history of their people and their religious belief. This great cooperative effort could not have been obtained before, nor could it be obtained now already. Some of the older spokesmen have died. Their traditions have come to us by the dictate of fate we all call fortuitous chance, at the time when we, as they, most need them. The spokesmen include the late Wilson Tawakwatiwa, Sun in the Sky of the Bear Clan, village chief of Orabi, Charles Frederick's Tuwahoe Iwama, land animals. He's from the Bear Clan in New New Orabi. Mrs. Anna Fredericks Tuvin land beautiful with flowers of the Coyote Clan from New Orabi. Dan Kohongva, white cloud above horizons. He's from the Sun Clan in Hotavia. Mrs. Bessie Sikamoise, chasing one another on a green field. She's from the Sidecorn clan, Bakabi. John Lansa, lance, badger clan. Orabi, Dewit Sahu, means yucca food. Hawk clan from Orabi. Baldwin, polipkoima male followed by butterfly maiden from the badger's clan. Hotvia is where he lived. Johnson Tualetsiwa, Sun Standing Up, from the Bow Clan in Urabe. Bert Sakwetwa, Animals Run on Green Pastures, from the Bear Clan in Moenkopi. Ralph Selina, Place of the Flowers, Where Pollen Rests, from the Sun Clan in Onshankobovi. Joseph Cholo, Raindrop. He's from the Snake Clan of Arabi Claude Kwayanyuma, Bear Clan, Shungopovi. Earl Pella from the Sun Clan on Shungopovi. Sikwaptiwa, Deep Well Clan, Hauteville. Paul Singuia, Corn That Has Been Rooted, Eagle Clan on Hauteville. The late Otto Pintawah. Painting many Kachina masks, Kachina clan, New Orleans, San Pawiki, Rabbit clan from Orabi, Tom Muchku, Water clan, Orabi, Stuart, Reed clan, Walpi, Uro Mamriwa, Cloud can, clan, Walpi, Sakongva, Green Corn Standing, Autoville, Jack Pokonyespa. Man Before the Altar, Horteville. Ralph Tawangwe Yamo, Horteville. Elizabeth White knew Arabi Bob Adams from Walpie, and Robert the Badger clan on Arabi. From their rough source material, so often unavoidably incomplete and contradictory, supplemented by answers to specific questions Personal observation of all ceremonies, and field trips to all sites mentioned with additional historical research. I have written the text presented here. Orabi always has been regarded as the parental home of Hopi ceremonialism. Hence, the interpretation of the ceremonies follows as closely as possible the traditional Orabi pattern, noting the deviations in other villages during recent years. For the same reason, the Arabi dialect has been adhered to in preference to the different dialects of other villages. Although the scriptures have been published in Hopi, Hopi is not yet a commonly written language, perhaps because of the extreme difficulty of translation, as pointed out by Benjamin LeWolf, who has made a profound analysis of the language. All Hopi words used here have been spelled according to a system worked out by Mr. Charles Hughes of Columbia University, to whom thanks are given for his help. Particular thanks are due to Mrs. H.R. Voth and her daughters, Mrs. P.A. Dick, for permission to reproduce photographs from the rare collection taken by Reverend H.R. Voth during his residence in Arabia half a century ago the caption material also has been supplied by mrs voth to all the other persons too numerous to mention who aided us in so many ways i can only say koakwa Koakwai. in arranging the material so vast in scope and detail i have borne in mind that it is virtually it virtually constitutes a hopi bible Hence, it is presented in chronological order, beginning with the creation according and akin to our own genesis, not according to, akin to our own genesis, and the people's successive emergences, emergence is more than one emergence from the previous worlds to the present fourth world. Part 2, which may be viewed as a Hopi exodus, then recounts the prehistoric migration of the clans over this continent until they arrived at their predestinated homeland, predestined homeland, whose center is present Orabi. Here initiated the great annual cycle of religious ceremonies still carried on as described in Part 3. Part 4 then summarizes the historical period from the arrival of the first white man in 1540 to the present time. It was wished that the book served the practical purpose of helping to solve current Hopi problems of local self-government, factional disputes, land claims against the Navajo tribes and the national government, and other political and economic controversies. The arrangements of the text meets this obligation by presenting these problems in four parts, in part four. As all Hopi secular life is so based on the religion and the religious that these problems cannot be solved, properly viewed even, without the perspective of long tradition. Indeed, the whole history of the Hopis vis-à-vis the United States does not, as does the relationship of the Indian and the white throughout all the Americas. Let me read that again. This is nothing formal. You're not paying Audible for this book. Indeed, the whole history of the Hopis vis-à-vis the United States as does the relationship of the Indian and the white throughout all the Americas, tragically illustrates our ignorance of and lack of interest in learning the traditional beliefs of the people we have dominated. It is fervently hoped that this book will be of great assistance to representatives of the Indian Bureau, National Park and Forest Service state and court officials, and private industry in their future dealings with the Hopis. As a final word, I must reiterate that this book is an expression by Hopis of the traditional viewpoint. All the material in it, save my own obvious commentaries, was supplied by our Hopi spokesman and approved as transcribed in manuscript form. Its aim is a free narrative as a free narrative, was to achieve the full spirit and pattern of Hopi belief, unrestricted by detailed documentation and argumentative proof. As such, it conflicts in innumerable instances with the scientific views of the Hopis held by outside academic observers. The documentary scholar may question whether an ancient primitive people could have evolved such a rich belief and preserved its full tradition for generations by word of mouth. He may assert that the interpretations of the myths, legends, and ceremonies are largely of my own speculations. He will certainly deny that the invisible spirits manifest themselves as described. To these doubts and denials, my only answer is that the book stems from a mythic and symbolic level far below the surface of anthropological and ethnological documentation. That it may not conform to the rational conceptualization ruling our own beliefs does not detract from its own validity as a depth psychology different from our own. It stands for itself as a synthesis of intuitive, symbolic belief, given utterance for the first time. This then is the Book of the Hopi, as its title implies, given to us with the hope that we will receive it in the same spirit of universal brotherhood that impelled its compilation.